Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646 716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. It is March 22nd, 2021. Hope you're having a great week. It's off to another one. Now, of course, we are going to be looking at the markets here shortly with Matt, but anytime the markets deteriorate, we play Matt, but uh, we're jokingly so. But uh, we're so excited to have you here, and uh, this podcast is created by Mortgage Professionals. It is for mortgage professionals, and we're so grateful to have you, our listener, here each and every week and sharing it with others. That's how our audience has grown to the size it has. It's just amazing. So um, over 100,000 down, I mean, over approaching 600,000 downloads of our podcast, 100,000 regular listeners. Thank you so much and appreciate you being here with us. Our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. I want to pause for a moment and just say that we've had a bit of a tragedy in our podcast family. It's so sad. Uh, we have two people that work behind the scenes. Uh, Paul King, he's on the line, and Nikki Whitaker. And unfortunately, uh, Nikki Whitaker lost her, had a tragic, sudden, unexpected end of the life of her 20-year-old son, Ethan Michael Whitaker. He passed away this past week. And uh, when she called me, I've heard tears before, but I've never heard tears from the depth of someone's soul, such as I heard this past week. And so please keep the Whitaker family in your thoughts and prayers as they deal with this horrific, unexpected, tragic loss of their son, 20-year-old son. And so our thoughts and prayers go out to you, Nikki, and your husband and your whole family. The funeral was yesterday, and um, as it was just one of those moments where you just when you take time, folks, to go love on the ones you take for granted. We just assume they'll always be there, and um, sometimes it doesn't work out that way, and uh, things happen, and we're just saddened, and our hearts go out to the Whitaker family, and it is a good reminder for us all just to love on each other, spend that extra moment saying, if I don't get to see you again, just know I love you. And we love you, our listeners. And we're so grateful to have you here. Talking about loving on people, we're going to be continuing our series on recruiting top talent. We've had some great guests, including um, our good friend Bill Cosgrove, Alice Alviston. Uh, Rick, uh, um, Bill was writing me back uh, just recently saying what, how much he enjoyed the interview. And, then, of course, we've had so many other guests on already. So I just want to tell you, encourage you to listen to this series that we're doing. Again, rates are popping up, so we're actually going to be possibly seeing the potential for the first time, what seems forever, a potential of some uh, layoffs. I don't know if that's going to be happening, but uh, it is possible if we see Matt to continue to mess up with the markets. Again, blaming Matt, jokingly. But if the markets continue to deteriorate, it's very distinctly possible we could see interest rates going up and layoffs happening. So how do you keep the right people on the bus, the right people off the bus? So it's applicable. What we're talking about is when we're growing, when we're planning this series, we were just looking where we're going to hire the next underwriter and how much are we going to have to pay them. And so we're really looking at uh, recruiting. And we're going to be continuing on today. And I'm really excited about today's guest. We have Eric Levin, EVP of Client Development at Model Match. Now, this is a really interesting business model 
that I've just was introduced to me by one of my clients. And uh, so uh, I'm really excited to get on with Eric. He has over 20 years of supporting strategic growth needs of clients in the financial services industry. We're going to be continuing our discussion on recruiting. Also, we recorded uh, Eric as a podcaster and he has his podcast and we recorded an interview of me last Thursday that'll be being released here pretty soon. So very good. Stay tuned to the Hot Topic segment for our interview with Eric Levine. I want to say we're thrilled to be a part of industrysyndicate.com. It's a great way to uh, get information and sources of other podcasts that are out there. So check out industrysyndicate.com. Great to be a part of it. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. Yeah, we interviewed Michael Fretton, and Tony on January 4th. Don't have that. You've got to go back and listen to that interview. Michael nailed it. Did he, he talked about interest rates going up. The question is, did anyone anticipate him going up as fast and as high as quickly as they did here? So uh, also, we were on a town hall meeting with the NBA puts out. If you're a member of the NBA, you get to get in on these town hall meetings. And it's a really an update to the industry. And I really applaud Bob Brooksbent, uh, Marsha Davies, and the whole team, Michael Frantoni. The whole team gets on and does a spectacular job of doing these updates. So I was went on last week with that, learned a lot. And you can, if you're a member of the NBA, you can get a download of that. So um, also, Finastra, the Fusion Mortgage Bot Solution. You can experience the power of a fully integrated approach to mortgage lending when you use this kind of a system. And it simplifies the borrowing experience and it streamlines the process for employees. Our interview with Dan Putney on January 11th was real good. Check that one out. Also, Lenders One, pleased to be a part of the Lenders One co-op, as well as the Mortgage Collaborative. I was on with David uh, Kittle uh, yesterday, my good buddy, golfing buddy, and mortgage professional friend, David Kittle, um, He's, doing, he's just been busier than ever else. But uh, I really value the relationship with both of these co-ops. And here's why you want to become a member of a co-op, in addition to the NBA, not in place of, but in addition to the NBA, because of what you get an up-close personal experience comparing notes with your peers. Encourage you to check it out. Also, there's the Community Mortgage Lenders of America, uh, another organization that focuses more on the independent mortgage bankers. And also Indicom, they have great partnership with lenders and servicers and mortgage insurance and title insurance companies. And they achieve one specific goal. And I love this simple goal to help you grow your business. Check out Indicom.com and uh, great company. Great. You can get all this information on our website by going to the sponsors. Also, one of our sponsors is Accelerate, helps lenders grow more quickly through radically changing how lenders communicate and engage with borrowers. Josh Friend, we had that interview. There was a lot of information that's getting downloaded as the August 17th interview, 2020. Check out that interview with Josh Friend. A lot of wisdom there and looking at this, especially some of you can looking at converting to consumer direct. Now, Accelerate works both with a purchase model and builder model and traditional model as well as the consumer direct. A lot of wisdom in that interview. Also, we're thrilled they have a relationship with Knowledge Coop, Ken uh, Perry's company. Knowledge Coop, check it out for a mobile, uh, a great um, training experience. Also, Mobility RE and Modex. Both of these companies provide market intelligence about recruiting. It's a great topic we're on, and it fits nicely into what we're doing. So check out Mobility MMI as well as Modex. These work right alongside each other. We use both of these tools 
in advising our clients on how to recruit effectively. Good to have you with us. I want to say a special thank you to Alice, Alan, and Matt for their contributions each and every week. Now, normally we'd head out to the NBA for Rob Van Rapforce, but we unfortunately didn't get the download. If you listen on a downloaded basis, it's possible Rob will get us a report, but uh, busy guy over there at the NBA, so we're missing his report today. So let's get right into Les Parker's segment. But here's the deal. I got, a, I got called out. I love um, some of our listeners are so funny. I got corrected by a lot of them. Uh, but Kimberly with Freddie Mac, uh, Kim called me um, and said, Dave, uh, you said last Les Parker's song. Remember his song, the theme song in his music was what goes up must come down. And I said, oh, it's so good to hear that song from Chicago. Well, I got corrected. So anyway, it was Earth, Wind and Fire. Yes. Thank you so much. So I'm a product of that music. I don't know why I forgot. Maybe it's because I'm getting so old to see now. But now let's get over to Les Parker. I'm not so fond of this week's music selection, but nonetheless, fits in with what's going on. Les, what you got for us today? TM Spotlight Soundbite is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Washington. Terry. Deflation all upon The battle rages between investors and Washington, that is, the Federal Reserve and Treasury. Europe and China want to end the U.S. dollar's reign as the reserve currency. But the Macron and Merkel alliance fades as the German elections pointed to rebellion against the establishment's failures. Macron becomes the classic panderer ahead of the French election in April 2022. Treasury wants to raise taxes by record amounts. Expect such talk to lead to lower rates briefly, but with violent moves. Washington. Terry. Deflation. All apart. These views are my own. Want more? Go to kingofspotlight.com. Okay. Good message. It ties in with what's going on. I like the report, but I don't like the music. I still like uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. What? goes up anyway check out les parker's newsletter you can do so by going to tmspotlight.com and you can subscribe and if you go in into the when you're at the subscription button you put in power the p-o-w-e-e-r put in power the word power and for power seller and you'll get the paid version for free great word matt good to have you here with us of course we blame you for the markets going up or down, we give you credit when you <laughs> But there hasn't been a much of that going on lately, friend. What is going on? Uh, I, well, we can't blame your singing, that's for sure, Dave. <laughs> that's a vocal major. Oh, that was good. Here. That slipped. That slipped. That's good. <laughs> You're the voice of an angel. I'm, I'm bringing my guitar next time I'm out in Texas. We're going to get it done. <laughs> you got it. We'll get it done. We'll get some good music done. Fanny Mae Jane, get the old Fanny Mae band back. Anyway. Looking at the ten year, we're starting to get back down into the medium middle part of the range, but uh, uh, yeah, 10, I guess yeah, starting to a little bit. I mean, yeah, range. the medium part of the range for last week for sure, but uh, yeah, for last that, week, yeah. This, yeah, before that, this might have not have been the best place to be. Um, so last week, that, there's a lot to cover here, so dig right into it. We'll start with the normal, you know, more boring stuff, econ data. Uh, and we talked last week um, about the first major report coming up was going to be retail sales on Tuesday. 
and it missed big, minus 3.0 versus forecasts calling for minus 0.5. So that's a huge miss for retail sales, and uh, markets did nothing on that. Now, there was a revision to the previous month, up to 7.6 from 5.3. But later, you know, 45 minutes later, industrial production came out, minus 2.2 versus plus uh, 0.3. Another really big miss in econ data, and yet again, no market reaction. So this, right out of the gate, was a major clue as to the tone of the week and where the bond market's focus was or was not in this case. And uh, even though, you know, the story of the economy coming back from COVID driven lockdown economic weakness is, uh, you know, central to the rising rate environment, it is not central to rising rates on any given week at any given moment. This week, or last week in this case, happened to be all about the Fed and not really for the regular reasons. But uh, we talked about that SLR stuff, and the Fed, uh, you know, didn't hike, didn't change the verbiage of their announcement much at all. Um, and we'll get to SLR in a second. They did change their economic projections, and this is something that Powell likes to remind reporters not to put too much emphasis on, but people are going to do it anyway, and they continue to do it. And this is the dot plot that everyone talks about, Dave. And yep. that's the one where uh, Fed members vote on where they see the Fed funds rate over time. And we still are not seeing a median view of a hike in 2023. That headline played well for bonds, actually, uh, at first. But the dot plot did show we're now seven votes for 2023 liftoff versus five last time. So there's a little bit of migration in the dots, and that could give some traders some pause. But all in all, it was fairly well-received at 2 p.m. 2.30 p.m. rolls around, Powell starts talking, and by and large, he is dovish. He's bond-friendly. Um, a lot of people think Powell has done nothing but damage the bond market recently, and here's, here was a great example of the opposite happening. He, um, you know, I, I don't know if you would say he tried to talk rates down, but he was definitely bond-friendly. One reporter asked if it was time to start talking about tapering or when it was time to start talking about tapering and Powell just said not yet and that was the end of that question he shut it down very quickly uh, reiterated their commitment to keeping inflation you know over two percent for a while and their ability to deal with it if it uh, started to run hot uh, reiterated that they would be very very clear and give tons of advance notice when it came time to taper but they weren't close to that yet but that they were committed to avoiding a taper tantrum like, you know, market reaction. Uh, So all that was good, but there was a question, which we were almost certain there would be about SLR, the supplementary leverage ratio thing that uh, is a temporary rule created last April that theoretically allowed banks to buy and hold more treasuries without it affecting their leverage ratios. And it is set to expire at the end of this month. And about half the market was looking for an extension and half was expecting the Fed to let it expire. When asked, Powell said, don't have a comment on that. We'll have something for you in the coming days. So that was tough because how do you take that? We'll have something for you in the coming days. Is it 
such a big deal to the Fed that they're going to announce an absence of an, an extension? Right. Or do you take that to mean, well, if they're going to announce something, it's probably going to be some at least some kind of extension. So markets didn't react poorly to that at the time. And Wednesday ended up being a decent day. Intraday, yields moved lower. But then overnight, Asian and European markets completely blasted the U.S. bond market. And we quickly found ourselves up at 1.75%, which was the next technical target that we talked about last week after you know breaking 1.63. And then on Friday, uh, confirmation that the market's fears were justified in the form of the Federal Reserve Board of Governors releasing official statements saying that uh, SLR would be allowed to, or the temporary SLR rule would be allowed to expire and that they would revisit their leverage ratio rules to see if it, you know, uh, if they should be any different right now. But by that time, there wasn't a ton of market reaction left to have on that topic. It was the single biggest minute of Treasury futures volumes that we've seen in, and I can only go back so far to look at minute by, by minute volume, but it was definitely on the market's radar. I just think a lot of that trade had taken place in advance. A lot of the weakness recently, you know, can be chalked up to that. <clears throat> so, you know, we ended the week holding in that uh, 1.7 to 1.75 range. Not a great place to be in terms of 10-year yields, but um, not a, a surprising place to be in the absence of SLR. So coming up this week, you know, we get to find out, was 1.75, now that we hit that technical target, will that be the ceiling? You know, it was 1.63. We broke it. Now it was 1.75. We're holding it. Let's see how we do with that. Uh, on the data front, uh, existing home sales is already out. Bit weaker than expected. Not troubled by it. Still great numbers. Uh, new home sales tomorrow expected to be weaker. We're seeing, you know, rising rates take a toll more so on refis, but a little bit on the purchase market as well. It's hard to slow this purchase market down, of course. And uh, then Wednesday, durable goods is expected to come in lower than expected. I'm going to say expected one more time. There we go. That's three. <laughs> and then uh, jobless claims with us as always on Thursday, uh, 730 versus 770 is the forecast. GDP is forecast to be unchanged at 4.1. Really no one paying attention at this point because that is the second revision. And uh, it's, you know, very stale data at this point. And core PCE inflation on Friday that is seen coming in the same as last time at 1.5. So we are not yet to those reports that are going to be distorted by quote unquote base effects, meaning that this uh, a current month number is based on a month in the previous year that was very, very different, thus uh, distorting it. And what we're going to see is very high inflation numbers in the coming months due to the very low inflation numbers uh, 12 months ago in 2020. So that'll be a factor in the next couple of reports, but not these. The highlight of the week, not really on the data front, is the Treasury auction cycle. And while it's not the more significant of the two Treasury auction cycles, it was a market mover last time it came around. It can be again. And so we have uh, two five- and seven-year auctions on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, respectively. And this will give the bond market sort of a chance to endorse this new 1.7 range or, you know, push back against it. So if we see very strong auction results uh, without yields backing up too much further, 
it could be a sign that, you know, we're going to try harder to solidify this ceiling. And uh, I think we're just taking things one day at a time when it comes to the sell-off one. because it has <laughs> defied a lot of expectations. And uh, last but not least, on a loan pricing front, I know Alice is going to talk about this more, but we saw many more lenders roll out their non-owner and second home hits. Several mm-hmm. lenders rolled out bigger hits. And uh, a couple lenders said, hey, we're going to be adjusting pricing on this stuff very fluidly, and we're not going to give you a heads up every time we do. We're just going to reprice, and that'll be that. There won't be an official announcement. And, um, you know, people are trying to kind of scramble to figure out the new normal there. And that is, uh, yeah, it's causing a lot of headaches for a lot of people and definitely a lot of surprises for clients that had been quoted uh, non-owner or second home rate before last week. Uh, coming to see that things have changed fairly drastically. Mm-hmm. That's an understand, understatement for sure. Yeah. Yep. So that's it. I mean, just hoping that's to hold, hold the ceiling and hoping to see uh, some more support this time around. And I think, we're you know, from a strategy standpoint, we'll believe it when we see it and we're hoping to see it. <laughs> we're still in the middle range. We'll see if we test the lows and then uh, see what's going on. But it was interesting um, I was, who was I talking to? It was, maybe it was Les Barker the other day, and then also had someone else confirm it to go, we could see some pretty significant volatility here coming up in the, in the month of March, March, March Madness, in a different way other than the basketball tournament, and some things yeah. going on pending. So we'll see. We're going to see, uh, some are predicting we're going to go below the current floor that we're seeing, which is kind of stuck at just a little over 6.1 or 6, yeah, 1.6. One four, yeah, you know, depending on depending on the um, the extent to which Japanese accounts are influencing treasuries right now, and that's a hotly debated topic in around trader okay. campfires. Um, we could see a really strong April because Japan's uh, fiscal year end is at the end of this month, and uh, word on the street is they've right. been they've been selling a lot of treasuries. So if that's been a, as much of a factor as some say it is, then April could be you know where we really see our first nice correction in 2021. But yeah. uh, as I continue to tell my audience on MBS Live, this is a, a sell-off. This is a, a rising rate environment where you want to leave the burden of proof on bond buyers and on a rally to establish itself before you sort of bet on it or before you change anything about your own strategy and your approach to the market because it, it has been defying a lot of expectations for resilience. Yeah, when you got volatility, where are you looking to get finding out what's going on? I got to tell you, everybody, you got to check out Matt's website, mbslive.net. It has got loaded, loaded, loaded with all kinds of good comments and information. Again, the news, the live news stream is one of my favorite areas. Um, I'm probably locked mostly on the ten year treasury and the graphs that's there and how you can roll across, see where things are at. You got a one day view. You can go out two days, five days, one month, three months, six months, five years, all the way out. And all it's fascinating the amount of information you have on here. And the best part, you let our listeners check it out and experience it uh, on a trial basis, and you double the trial period at no with no other cost requirement of a credit card. So Matt, very grateful for that. Very, very much. Appreciate it. You bet. All right. Matt, have a blessed day. Look forward to seeing you back here next week. And uh, always enjoy and grateful for your participation. Thanks, Dave. Have a good one.
You bet. Yeah, what's that song? Uh, you know what? I realized when I was talking about the lyrics, you know, the, what goes up, what comes down, it's Blood, Sweat, and Tears from 1969. The lyrics of that song are so fitting, Alice. And so you, 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 you were, you and uh, your wonderful husband were uh, getting along pretty good at that age. You remember that, that era, music? It's such a fun era. Just love it. I do, but, you know, for our listeners' benefit, I was three. No. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> you so oh, you're yeah, no I love that stuff. Right well, out. you know, I'm a Detroiter, so I love yeah. Motown as well. So, anyway. Yeah, Great lots music. of fun stuff. So, uh, Matt brought up about the rate. Uh, mm-hmm. issues and the pricing issues and the whether it's aggregate, it's monthly, it's buy lender now for our investment and second home property borrowers. Uh, so I think Matt covered it great. I don't need to pile on with that. It is a challenge every single day right now as lenders are trying to really see how the market's going to react because no one wants to end up being the low-priced provider and then you end up being where everyone wants to sell your loans, right? So um, you get adversely selected. So I think the, the whole market's trying to just gauge, I, I want to be with everybody. I don't want to be adversely selected. Uh, but some markets know they need this business. It's a big part of, you know, their uh, business model and then and the climate where, um, you know, they can really make some, there's good loans out there, right? doesn't mean they're all bad loans. So I think that's uh, where we're at right now. Nothing, just constant change every day with that topic. <laughs> That is an understatement. That we're in the mortgage business. Change is the right. <laughs> yes. If you thought you weren't going to ride a roller coaster, you might want to pick another industry. So um, <laughs> that's what we that's what we tell people who are in the business who are new. Uh, but my report, Dave, is really just to let uh, everybody know. Fannie Mae came out with uh, a lender letter, and actually, this one uh, the publication date was on the 11th. But it, as far as the letter dated itself, but I know this was crossing everybody's desks, um, you know, in the last few days to make sure we all picked up on the changes that were coming out of this. So this is lender letter 21-03 related to the COVID-19 rules that are impacting origination. And really the main thing is to look at that each one of the topics is covered again in detail. They've added some clarifications, but they're now saying this is getting put in the guide and it's going to stick. So when you think about what's the impact to COVID to our industry, it has now permanently changed underwriting guidelines. These are no longer every 30 days, every 60 days going to get pushed out. So for those of you who might not be intimately familiar with what this is, uh, uh, there are some changes to verbal verification of employment, how quickly and repeatedly we have to do that. Power of attorney, I do want to remind everybody, you should be looking at your POA policies scrub it and fix it because there are a lot of nitty-gritty details that uh, people keep recognizing and one of them I was talking to another lender another shop and they had missed that the POA requirements that Freddie published and then Fannie followed require that the borrower actually sign an acknowledgement that and this acknowledgement timing has to be between the um, the time of the CD and closing so after finalizing the closing disclosure, but prior to the closing itself, somebody at the lender or the settlement agent must explain and discuss the terms of the mortgage and the use of the POA. 
and that sounds easy, okay, I just have to have a discussion, but the paragraph does go on to say, how are you going to document and prove that you did this, right? In mortgage banking, if there isn't a document or record that says you did it, then, you know, the assumption is going to be that you may not have done it. So just a heads up on the POA, that most companies have had to really revamp their POA policies, get that communication out to their teams uh, to make sure they're getting that right. The other aspect of COVID has been the age of the documents, that they could only be 60 days. Those of us remember when they could be 120 and 180 and longer for new construction. So all of that is now basically just staying in place. We're going to have for the foreseeable future that all our docs must be updated every single 60 days, and that includes uh, C2P credit docs as well. So lots different from an operational standpoint when you think, oh, do I only have to do this for a short period of time and maybe this will go away, to, okay, now I've got to have this in place permanently. This is the way I'm going to train everybody, and I've got to make sure my systems are set up for the long haul to do this. Uh, verification of self-employed borrowers, all of that is super deep. Lots of analysis for year-to-date P&Ls. Yes, if they haven't done their tax returns for 2020, you need a 2020 P&L and a year-to-date P&L. Don't forget that. And the bank statements to go with them. So lots of self-employed borrowers are going to continue to feel the pinch. Uh, same with the furlough borrower regulations and then the temporary eligibility requirements for purchase and refinance for uh, borrowers going through loss mid or reinstatement. So this is a, a nine-page lender letter but it really has a big long-term impact. And, um, and the final thing really is that they are, they're not buying loans that are 12 months old anymore. It's down to six. So you just have to really, you know, as far as your seasoning, uh, what defines a seasoned loan, and all of these being until further notice. So that's the big change this week, Dave, uh, as lenders kind of retool for COVID guidelines now being very long-term. Now I'll pass yeah. it back to you. Good job. Appreciate it so much, Alice, being here. And uh, I mean, I'm looking at this. I just went through a refinance and the documentation. I could tell the lender was so confused. I go, do you not listen to the podcast? Because (laughs) Alice would have helped stretch you straight. They were going, wait, we need this. Now we don't need this. Now we do need this. We're not sure. We don't know what we're doing. That's what I wanted to say. So I literally said the underwriter, listen to Alice's segment. It's so good. Anyway, appreciate you being here, Alice. Say hi to Bill. Tell him again how much feedback we're getting on the interview that we did with him on leadership. Can't wait to get into that topic in the Hot Topics segment. I know you can't join us because you're dropping out to a meeting. You are so busy there, but you guys are growing, and it's just because you guys have a great culture and the way you're growing the business. So it's not surprising. You've got to run to a meeting, so we're sorry to see you go, but have a blessed rest of your week, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Oh, thanks, Dave. Oh, wait, I just realized, and I want to clarify, there Yep. There are there are extensions to the uh, the the there are certain ex, uh, items that are not being extended. So appraisal flexibilities, for example, yeah, are not yep. being extended. Please. I just want to make sure everybody was clear. Yes. On uh, some of the things that uh, were being that I was referring to, what are the items that are going to be permanent? There are some that won't be extended. So please make sure you go check those lender letters out. Good, good, good reminder. Thank you, Alice. Thank Appreciate you. It very much. Okay. Good to have you here. Alan Pollock joining us today. You <laughs> see Alice. Say hi to everybody there. Um, Alan's joining us with the tech update. Alan, what you have, friend? Hey, David and our listeners. Happy Monday, TGIM. If I say yes. David Licken style, how's yeah. it going? It's good. <laughs> awesome. Other than embarrassing myself with who the artist is, with what goes up and who goes what goes down, but other than that. 
Yeah. It's all right. We like your singing. You, you dig. You did good enough. Mm-hmm. You're good enough for a, a karaoke night at a at a <laughs> leftover Chili's somewhere in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Where nobody's listening, they're all too drunk to listen, or they think it sounds yeah, good. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so what's what's going on in mortgage? I know you know more going on that's out there, and you could possibly share with us. And it's odd, just like you just want to take you and just ring you and like get all that new. There's a lot happening in the world, isn't there? A lot of exciting stuff. There is. There's a lot of. Yeah, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on. And it's these little stories that always catch my eye. Um, it, you know, this one's pretty cool. Everyone loves their pets. I mean, pets is just a billion, multi-billion dollar industry. Uh, I mean, if you watch Shark Tank, I mean, it's like every every other episode is people selling something for their pets. Well, Lender Logics, which is a tech company, they now will send your pet a welcome to your new home gift box. A day after the closing, the homeowners will receive a text message asking what type of pet do you have and how many, and you'll get a welcome package for your furry friends as well as a customized pet tag. I'm guessing, David, it probably has their name and their new address. And guess the best part? It runs automatic from the LOS. So if you're interested in connecting with your borrowers, that customer experience is everything, the furry friends are everything, check it out, Lender Logics. I thought that was pretty cool. And that's an L-O-G-I-X at the end, by the way. Very good. Uh, David, David, data, 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 right? David, the three Ds, David and data. So TransUnion has now said that they found three data points about post-COVID borrowers. And they're saying the first one, 35% of of the population, that their income has not decreased and no decrease is planned. So they're in good shape. 27% of the population see that income has decreased, but they do plan to recover. And 22% of the population have seen a decrease, and some say they are unsure or doubtful that their finances will recover. And I mention this only because not, not because I want to, you know, kind of put clouds on today's weather or anything like that, just that, you know, we're continuing to leverage data. Partners like TransUnion, who they're using trended data, and they're helping us look at ways to understand who our customers are this is really important. And so as you continue to use data to look at your new customers and how you market and how you ingest new applications and those experiences, data like this is extremely critical. So uh, I'm sure others have it as well. You want to take a look at TransUnion. Now, David, last week, if you remember, I mentioned how excited I was. I love the fact that you know, financial literacy is a big deal in banking and that in the mortgage side of the fence with new borrowers, there, there needs to be some type of education and literacy in those borrower and loan officer one-to-one experiences, right? The in-branch experience, whatever, whatever you call it. So Google announced the details of their new certification program, and I quickly mentioned that last week. Uh, they've got three programs that are huge in project management, which is, I mean, no project lives correctly or can live correctly without project management. Um, data analytics, which is just we live on data. Um, what would sportscasters do without having data, right, to be able to say that this is the first time when it was sunny and I had a hot dog that, you know, this guy ran in three seconds. And then also the ability to, um, to, to be an expert in UX design, which we're going to talk about in a moment. So anyways, I didn't realize, I knew and I, I couldn't remember and I wanted to mention it, but Better.com has already hired thousands from this Google program. And Better has increased their workforce from 1,000 to more than 6,000 over the past year. 
This wow. Google program works for all types of people. So if you're interested, you want to reach out to Google, they are training people to fit within your organization. And if you're looking to bring some fresh minds into your organization, um, maybe you want to connect with Google. Interesting. And, David, as you and I know, not everybody's meant for a four-year college program, right? And That's so this true. is another way to get some really good training uh, from some of the best. Now, Blend. Blend's doing all kinds of things, David. They just made an announcement that they're opening the digital doorway, uh, which really is what we call omnichannel lending, right? They're giving financial institutions the ability to have one entrance way to multiple financial products, one experience. It's all about the borrower's experience, the ease of use, as well as the back end, right? But, you know, they need to retain that investment and continue to make investment in their members and their customers. So, Blend made that announcement, but second is they just made an agreement to acquire Title 365, and what they're saying is they're going to mm-hmm. deeply integrate title and settlement into the loan process by automating the title commitments, um, reconciling settlement fees in real time, and streamlining between all the different parties that exist on the transaction, uh, all part of their interface and part of their technology partners. So uh, hats off to Blend. It sounds really interesting, and if uh, you're a Blend user, you want to check it out. Virtual demo days, David. We have had plenty of them, and there's more. Well, Housing Wire has an upcoming virtual demo day. If you're interested, you want to check that out. Um, and then, you know, David, I just want to spend a quick minute. I want to talk about product principles. We keep mentioning it, and I've, I've brought a couple things up about customer experience and how important it is. I want to mention something. You know, we're so used to today, and you don't even realize it, but you've got um, on TikTok, you've got on Snapchat, the way that you scroll videos. If you're not doing it, your kids are doing it or your nieces and nephews are doing it. Anyways, YouTube just introduced it. The trend is moving. We're moving to where we no longer click on videos and see a list of videos on the right, but you swipe up and you swipe down with your fingers and you click if you want to see more information. That's user experience. And you know what else that is, David? That's gamification. So not only have the big tech giants started to go that way, including YouTube, but it's all about product principles. And the reason I bring this up to our audience is it is so important that even if you have a bad product, you still have to have some type of product principle and a way to help guide your users. And those are things with videos. You can use its technology called WalkMe where it literally sits on your screen. Have you ever downloaded an app and all of a sudden out of nowhere it says, you know, click here, click here, and it shows you, guides you how to use that app real quick the first you know, time you yeah. use it? Yeah. It's, it's called walkme.com. It's a great technology. How to use guides. No one wants to read Word documents and PDFs of instructions. And in fact, we don't do it when we buy something from the store, so why would we do it on our computer when we want to use it as a software? <laughs> so having quick access to videos, help to guides, walkmes, it's called gamification. It's called product principles, user experience. And you can use and leverage that information to drive that experience. And by the way, it's not just about your customers, your borrowers, your members. It's about your internal users as well. Mm-hmm. Having that efficiency within your systems, working with your partners to have the right documentation. A lot of partners will say they'll work with you to create your own videos and technical documentation. So. Today, today, you know, there's so much we can talk about product principles. David, we probably could bring a couple folks on, even have them talk about it. But just wanted yeah, to yeah. sort of ring the bell in everyone's mind that, you know, gamification, product principles, YouTube's doing it. Everybody's looking at ways to better interact I, and work with the borrower. I just noticed that. And users, the consumer. 
Yeah, I just noticed that uh, when watching a YouTube, some uh, YouTube videos yesterday. I just noticed this. Very good, Al. Excellent. And we can do that yeah. here. And you're right. So we know guys don't ask for directions. That's an age-old joke. Yeah, based That's on right. All the evidence, at least in our household. And um, yeah. but I mean, be able to have ways in which to educate people on your um, your devices on a new app or whatever. That's right. People got to incorporate that. And good you know, job, Al. David, we should tell our audience that if they're interested in finding out which chilies uh, you'll be moonlighting your karaoke skills app, <laughs> or if they want to know more about gamification and product like principles and user design and everything else that uh, that we do, they can reach out to uh, David or Alan at tms-advisors.com. That's a good job, Alan. Appreciate it. Good job. Appreciate you being on here each and every week, bringing us some great, great information. Have a great rest of your week, and man, I know I can't wait for you to start sharing all the information that you're hearing about out there that we can't talk about yet. It's pretty exciting. All right, everybody, that wraps up this week's weekly mortgage update. We're now going to get into the hot topic segment. For those of you listening on a downloaded basis, you're just going to move right on to the next hot topic. For those of you listening live, stay right here. We're going to move right on into it. Welcome, everybody. It's the Hot Topics segment of the Lickin' on Lending podcast. Again, we are looking forward to continuing our series on developing really strategic teams. And strategic, when I talk about strategic teams that work well together, how do we build companies that are going to function in a healthy way and, uh, and really bring you to the success that you desire. Joining us today on the podcast is Eric Levine. Eric is EVP of Client Development at Model Match. Real interesting company, and I'm really fascinated by it. One of my clients turned me on to them. I reached out to them, and then I found out how many others are using it. It's pretty cool. So check out modelmatch.com. Eric is a 20-year veteran of supporting uh, companies and their strategic growth needs and uh, – in the financial industry, we're thrilled to have you join us, Eric. How you doing, friend? I'm good, David. Thanks for having me on. This is uh, it's an honor. It's, it's always great to talk to you. I, I learn something. I always enjoy talking to you. I have to I have to start off though with you were joking around earlier about the mistake that you made on the the, <laughs> the you, I think you said it was Chicago and it was Earth yeah, Wind and Fire, I, right? Then I said it. <laughs> That's exactly right. Okay, yeah. so so he, he, here here's here's mis- mistake number two, and I'm going to give you a hard time. So my last name is pronounced Levin, not Levine. Levin. And, oh. and, and isn't it funny these silly things you we get what? sensitive about when we're a little kid yeah. and the teacher calls your name? <laughs> so out of respect to my dad, I had to at least uh, Levin, correct the of audience here. Correct me on that. I realize there's not an e at the end. I I just started putting it in there. So Eric Levin, my apologies. Right on. And hey, I, you know, uh, that. that that's okay. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the last name of Licken. Uh, it, it, I, it's Lichen. For most people, call it Lichen and Licken. And so I, I try to be sensitive to that, but that's my bad. I just was so excited. No, no, all, all, all good. And it made me start thinking. Did it, when we did, um, when you were on my podcast last week, which isn't up yet, but it should be up tomorrow. Um, I started thinking. I, I'm sure. I hope I called. I pronounced his last name correctly the whole time, uh, but I think I did. I think I did okay. So anyway, we'll, 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 we'll start with the mistake, and then we'll move on to other things. Well, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. when, when, it comes to, when it comes to names and mistakes, I've made enough of my life, and I just – Oh, my just gosh. Like, hey, 
Just say, I'm so sorry, and move on and go on and don't You know what the worst it. ones, the, the, the worst mistakes, though, are the, in my opinion, are the ones where people don't tell you. And so you just go yeah. about your business making the same mistake I over know. and over again, and, and nobody, nobody corrects you. And then you think, well, I've been calling you that for the last six months. Why didn't you tell me six months ago? Anyway, you, you, you and I won't have that problem. We won't, because I'll remember that one. <laughs> Do it on air. Make a mistake. Anyway, it's so good to have you here, Eric Levin. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have fun with that a little bit. Anyway, you talk about what you've done in helping work and build strategic uh, growth within companies. I'm really interested in learning more what strategic growth means. But when you mention people should stop recruiting, this is one of your statements, um, which is really fascinating. We're building companies. What do you mean stop recruiting? What do you mean by that? It's a great question, and I think that people that listen to me probably get bored with me saying things like stop calling it recruiting or I wish we could come up with another name. But I think back to the first time that I even – I think I heard the word recruiting, and we we probably all have similar stories maybe. But my first experience was when when I was in high school, I was an athlete – probably more in my head than physically, but I was an athlete and I wanted to play sports in college and I got hurt and um, I wasn't going to be able to play um, what I wanted to play. And so my, my folks, I think called a military recruiter and said, you know, my son needs to do something. And so we, we should get him on this list. And I got a phone call from a military recruiter who was, who was recruiting me. And, and, the, and the reality was is that I didn't, I didn't ask for that phone call. I didn't want to be in the military at the time. My, my 17, 18-year-old brain wasn't there yet. And so immediately we, we, were, we weren't on the, the same page, right? He, he, this person was trying to recruit me to do something that I had no interest in, and I wasn't in a position to listen to them. So fast forward to what we do today. You know, I got introduced to this industry 20 years ago, not just mortgage banking and financial services, real estate finance in general, but I got introduced to recruiting 20-plus years ago, and I sort of noticed a common denominator, and that was I was calling on a lot of people to try to talk them in to doing something that they, they didn't want to do, and, and they, didn't, they didn't want to talk to me. But if I switched it up and just ultimately tried to build a relationship with that individual in some mm-hmm. way, tried to find some common ground, tried to, to find out who they are um, yeah. across some shared core components, that all of a sudden I, we're really not recruiting. And now take it a step further, and all industries are a little bit different, and we're building Model Match, um, our software solution, as a technology platform that can support any industry. But our core competency is mortgage banking. We came up in this industry. This is we know people. We understand what originators and managers of originators, retail, wholesale, correspondent go through. Um, here's the difference on the sales side of the mortgage banking industry for the most part. The people that you're, quote, recruiting, the ones that you want, do they need a job? No. No. Do, do, are, the ones you want, are they miserable where they are? Probably no. not. Are they good at what they do? Meaning, do they have a book of business that has value? Of course they do. Those, those are the ones that you want. Well, guess what? If they don't need a job and they don't think they want a job, what are you going to do when you get started? And if you, get in, if you go into that process thinking that I need to recruit, I need to fill empty desks, so let me go start recruiting. Our belief is that you're already starting behind, you're already starting behind the eight ball. So let's, let's keep playing it forward. 
when, when, when a lot of managers, branch managers, regional managers, heads of production, presidents, CEOs, and you and I were talking about this a week ago, you know, you were on the sales side. Ultimately, you ended up building companies. Um, so you were managing bottom up, top down, across the board. But but the the those managers, for the most part, in this industry, in mortgage banking, where do they generally start? If you're managing production, if you're a branch manager or a regional manager, you probably started off as a loan officer. Is that fair? Right. That is fair. Okay. And, and when you start off as an LO and you had no book of business, well, what did you have to do? You had to go get some business. Or, yeah, you had to hustle. You, gotta, you had to go get some business. And you walked into a real estate office probably, maybe back in the day with a gift card or a box of popcorn or whatever, and you try to strike up a conversation and get them to give you a loan. And when I go through exercises with companies and I ask the managers in the room that have been tasked with recruiting, growing market share, building their branches, building their, their, their areas, if I say, hey, we have to go recruit, how does that make you feel? Everybody's body language drops in the room. But if I relate it to what you did when you were an originator and you built relationships with agents that 20 years later are still giving you business, that still trust you and are giving you loans, the muscle completely switches because they right. start to realize those three to five agents that they're still doing business with today, they did not win them because of product or price generally. They won them because of trust and a relationship, and then you were able to show them the mousetrap of your company and how that mousetrap can help create raving, raving fans. So anyway, really long-winded answer, but David, that's, that's why that's I don't – for what we do in this industry, I, I think recruiting is actually – the wrong word, and it also creates it, – it sort of engages this muscle for many people that's not a positive muscle, and so you go in right away negative. I like that. I mean it, it, it's a relationship-driven business, and uh, if you're recruiting, uh, I always say stop recruiting and stop pursuing. What mm-hmm. Everything I learned about recruiting, I learned at a high school dance, everything I saw it seemed to pursue, I chased away, but when I started developing <laughs> – I drew people into a relationship, and it was a much more successful outcome. You know, you, one of the things you talk about, the value of processes over events. Get into and explain what you mean by the value of processes over events. What kind of events are you talking about? Yeah, so, you know, I think there's a couple big mistakes that, that leadership makes when they are, quote, recruiting um, in, in local markets, regionally, nationally, you name it. And one of those one of those big mistakes is that they think because they're a, a good salesperson that they can just go into a conversation and wing it and 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 close this opportunity. You know, I'm going to close this opportunity. I'm going to close this person. And ultimately, there's no process behind it. Um, and so tagged on to that, a big mistake that then happens is that you have a good conversation with someone, and a good conversation could be three minutes long. A good conversation doesn't have to be an hour. It could be three right. minutes long. You, 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 you've heard my voice now. You can tell that I'm not a hard sell. I'm not, I'm not trying to twist your arm to do something you don't want to do. Maybe we had some constructive conversation about the local market. But the question is, what are you going to do next? Is there, a, is there a future action associated to that conversation? And so when we talk about process, it starts there. And then it goes all the way through the process of getting to know someone, getting to like them, and getting to trust them in both directions, right? And that is a process. There's an art to having a conversation, but there's a science to the process of managing that relationship from point A to the point where you both realize we can be better together, 
we can do more together. We can create efficiencies for each other. So now I'm joining your company not because I hate mine or because I'm mad at my boss, but because there's something about the value proposition and our partnership together that makes me believe that we can create efficiencies that I can't create elsewhere. You're not going to get to that place by just winging conversations and ultimately hoping you can make someone an offer and bring them on board. And then you obviously create other problems for yourself if you actually do win people in that way. You know, there's a, we all know that there is extreme costs to a bad hire. We, we can all agree. You're, 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 a, you're, you're, a vet, you're a veteran in this industry. You've seen so many different things. You consult with lots of great mortgage companies. I'm sure this is something you talk about. So that process keeps you from having a bad hire. By the way, that bad hire can also negatively impact your perception in a local market that's going to make it that much harder for you to get the next hire that might actually be a good one. So there's value in the process that even goes beyond moving that opportunity along through no like, and trust so that you can ultimately partner with someone. The, the other thing that it does, back to process, is it protects you from what, what is similar to the cost of a bad hire, and that is the cost of opportunity lost. So we, I'm sure many people listening are branch managers, regionals, heads of production, you name it, and you, you're looking to grow a market. You have a conversation with someone in January. The conversation goes really well. But this person's happy. They're crushing it. Their pipeline's full. They've got, they're going to make a bunch of money in the next couple of months. By the way, 2020 was nothing but delaying gratification for a lot of people looking to expand because of those reasons. But you have this really good conversation, and you just agree to stay in touch. And that's it. Well, yeah. four months later, you're, you're, you're fooling around on LinkedIn, and you see that this person just joined one of your competitors. And you and your gut know that you could have created a better environment for that individual than the place where they went. But why did you lose them? You, lose them, you lost them because you have no process to hold yourself accountable to staying in touch with this person and also to know what it is you should be talking about when you stay in touch with the person. And that's where model match came from. That's where our technology came from, which was how can we take the, the, the model, the processes that we built as an organization at Hammer House, which is the company that we started before model match and ultimately model match acquired the assets of Hammer House in 2018. But how can we take those processes package it into a platform that essentially creates an environment so that the user can take advantage of opportunity and not allow things to fall into a black hole. That is such a good point. I love the process. Get into a little bit of what some of the process, some of the things that your technology does. And I, I mean, folks, it's going to get right on over. I, we have clients using model match and there's two ways you can go about it. This may be a good point of interjecting. You have the software into technology where you mm-hmm. turn it on for an incredibly affordable price. I couldn't believe how much data you have in there and how much uh, process you've built into this technology and how affordable it is. But then also you have a fully managed service. Talk about when they pick up your software and they're, what are the processes that are embedded in there? Some of the ideas, some of the concepts. You mentioned social media. You developed, uh, you, you know, what, what they're about, what they're interested in. Talk a little bit about what you get with your technology. Yeah, so let me, maybe I'll back up for just a second. So um, we, we, we sort of live in between the static and the dynamic. You know, our, our technology is never going to be, nor was it ever intended to be a static CRM or applicant tracking system right. or job board. Um, however, we also know that on the human capital side where we get where we're hired, our team is hired to do the the recruiting work in partnership with our clients, Mm -hmm. 
Well, there, there's, a, there's a capacity to that, right? There's a finite amount of capacity that we have to be able to support at, at that particular level. So the software has created this environment that allows a user to decide how much or how little do I want. I need help expanding in my market. Well, Model Match allows the user to license the platform to be able to track all of their opportunities to be able to capture leads in a market via data, meaning, hey, who's doing the volume in my market and what does that volume look like across, um, across product, across average loan amount, across unit count, trends going back to 2016. So I can see the data. I know who it is I should be building a relationship with. And now I get into the technology and I start making phone calls directly from the software. So the software will track. You made a phone call. What happened with the phone call? I can disposition the phone call. I put a note in. That note's going to drop into a history section. I create a future task, and then I move on. I don't have to worry about this opportunity, this person anymore, because the software, Model Match, the environment, is going to remind me what to do and when to do it. The beauty of that, and again, this is just the, the, the first level of the technology, super inexpensive, but gives you, the, gives you the processes that you need to be successful, also allows you to collaborate with other users within your company. So I can mention David on a note, and then David gets a notification and can see, oh, Eric talked to this person today. Maybe I can jump in and help. It allows others within the organization across any division, operations, technology, human resources, to have that visibility to support collaboration that helps get you, first of all, more efficient in your processes because you have help. You have other eyes on the, on the technology and in your, in your processes, but also with the candidate themselves to be able to build trust by talking to multiple individuals within the company over time. And then going forward, you can, you can add on to the technology with additional data points. You can customize playbooks. You know, we were listening to Alan earlier on your show talking about gamification. We're doing a lot of that gamification inside the technology. So if a company says, hey, this is how we want to manage actions, step one, step two, step three, step four, you can customize that, bake that into the software, and make sure that all users across the organization are managing those processes the exact same way. Okay. And then all the way, you know, continuing on with the customization all the way through a company that may say, and you, I know you have some relationships with some of our clients at this level as well, hey, we want to use the software, we see the value in it, but we have a market where we want to take a really targeted approach and we want to invest at a higher level to have your team come on as sort of the SWAT team, help us go build the relationships in the market and partner with us, you know, all the way through, you know, ultimately hiring those individuals and supporting their onboarding and acclimation. Yep. I mean, the, the power of this tool and technology is wonderful. And then when you use, come on with the full service and uh, get behind it, and then you're using your technology, it's still all available to the customer, your client, but, uh, but you're being basically managing it. It's a really, a, really a nice turnkey process and solution. But you, when you're looking at recruiting, it's really about building trust. One of my favorite books that came out in 2017 was The Trust Economy. We're in a place where we're trusting. We're putting more and more on into systems. And we're trusting more when someone calls us. But building trust is an important part of it, at least I would think, in the collaborative effort of, of recruiting or drawing people into your company or building relationships. Talk about building well, trust. Yeah. How do you do that? It certainly is in the mortgage industry, for sure. And I think we can all agree that more and more of the processes within the industry, you know, operationally especially, are going more remote. They're going more technology-driven. There's maybe not as many conversations as there used to be. However, the, 
the vast majority of market share is still coming from consumers that are coming from referral partners that are being led to originators that have some relationship at some level. Even if it's that I clicked on a link to get led to someone who can give me a better rate, generally at some level, most companies are still engaging with that consumer and building a relationship that then leads to trust, that then can lead to additional referrals from that individual if they have a good experience as well. But taking, taking trust even deeper, and I, I look at collaboration and trust being a, a very similar thing. You know, inside of the technology, we're constantly encouraging our users that recruiting, and again, we, we, mm-hmm. until David, you're smarter than me, so you have to come up with a better word than recruiting because I haven't figured it out yet. But, but when, 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 when you're in there and you're, you're recruiting and you're working on your opportunities, you know, we're constantly encouraging those users to figure out who within their company or on their team can also support them in those processes. And you should bring them into the technology as well, have them have eyes on it, because at some point you're going to want to introduce those recruits to these individuals as well. I know, Mr. or Mrs. Branch Manager, that you can answer the underwriting question that you just got from this candidate. However, this is a perfect opportunity for you to acknowledge that the question is important and schedule an action for that individual to talk to the person that's going to be managing your files from that perspective on a day-to-day basis. Don't answer the question just because you can. Use this as an opportunity to introduce that individual to the person that's going to take care of them. And ultimately, what does that do? If you communicate consistently and predictably about the value proposition of your organization, it's going to build trust. Look, I mean, one of the things that you do really, really well, we were talking about this on, again, on the Walk podcast last week, was, you know, you, when, you, when you talk to companies, one of the most important things is to find out who they think they are and who they ultimately want to be. And to be able to define their core competencies, and we do it across six core components, once you define what those core competencies are, it makes it a lot easier to then bolt on those competencies to the individuals that you think you want to partner with. Well, the same thing holds true when you're collaborating with individuals inside of your company that you're going to introduce to these relationships. If you don't communicate the same way, you're going to have a problem. But if you do and you collaborate effectively, ultimately you reach a point where those individuals feel it and they build trust and you have an opportunity to partner with them. You talk about uh, core components. I, I really talk. I like that. Talk more and get into some of what are those core components are when it comes to this uh, thing that we call, we still refer to as recruiting, but we're looking for another name. But talk about that. Oh, no, I'd love to. So years ago, you know, my partners and I were, were, were and actually it was, probably around the time that we started Hammer House. And we started Hammer House 2008 when the world was coming to an end, right? And, and we doubled down on our place in this industry. And, and we weren't special. You know, like lots of other people, we had families that were wondering where the next paycheck was going to come from, and yet we were taking money out of savings to go start, you know, Hammer House which ultimately became Model Match. But during that whole period of time, we had defined sort of what we felt was the science of building those relationships. And and part of the science is understanding those core components. And the the six core components that we work and coach uh, to match between client and opportunity, and opportunity in this case is the individual or the group that you're recruiting. So that could be a loan officer or that could be an acquisition. And those six core components are business, leadership, culture, operations, technology, and geography. And there's multiple bullets underneath each one, as you can imagine. So business could be things as simple as um, product and 
purchased a refi and what are your referral sources? Leadership could be things, how does leadership create value for you? How do you collaborate with local and national leadership? Do you have a voice? Um, operations, technology, geography, we could go on and on. But those are the core components. And once you can identify who you are as an organization across those core components, you can also then drill down to local markets because Tampa, Florida is not going to be the same as Chicago, Illinois. There's going to be differences in business. There's going to be differences in culture. But there should be things at the corporate level that are relatively locked down, and then we can get into the nuance at the local level. As long as you know what those things are as the local leader and the regional and national leader, and every Everybody that's supporting you in your strategic growth knows those things and communicates them the same way. Well, now we have, you know, quote, fertile recruiting grounds, and we can go start to build relationships that bolt on to those six core components. The, 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 obviously, the other thing that happens, we find a lot of times that one of the reasons that individuals aren't comfortable recruiting is because they're really not comfortable with some of those core components. They really don't know how to communicate one or more of those core components about their own organization. I think you and I were talking again last week about times where we've seen people leave companies because they think they're getting a tool at the new company, and it turns right. out they actually had that tool at the old company, but the old company just wasn't communicating anything around that part of the value proposition. So those are the six core components, and, and I, I, I want to digress for a second. So I was, again, listening to Alan talk about gamification, in one of the early versions of the software, we built in those six core components. So as a user, you would answer questions relative to the individual you're talking to, inside of the software, and then the software would measure how strong the match is. But mm. what we found, and, and maybe it's short-sighted mm -hmm. and maybe it's something we come back to, but our users told us that it was too much work. Really? All I'm interested in, I'm, I'm mostly interested in the business side of it. So what we did was we pivoted. We took that piece away. I think at some point we bolted it back on again in, in, a, in a, some customization fashion. Um, but, but what we did was we added playbooks. So we still gave the company the opportunity to say, okay, if we're not going to measure this individual across the six core components, let's at least make sure that we're asking all the questions. And so we build the playbooks with them and for them. They can track who's, who's checked the boxes and who hasn't, and at least make really good hiring decisions. Well, there, there's just so much we could unpack within that whole area of those core components and explaining those. And we're getting a question in from one of our listeners right now. As it relates to what you were just talking about, what do you mean by a playbook? Okay, great question. Um, so think, think, think of a playbook as um, – well, okay, this is something I haven't mentioned yet. You know, whenever we've thought about the technology as it relates to mortgage banking and then also coaching from a recruiting perspective, and there's times where, you know, I'll be invited by a company to come stand in front of 100 branch managers and do an hour 101 about, quote, recruiting best practices, right? And one of the things that I try to always come back to is the muscle that's already built, that I know is already built, and that is – if I was to ask you anything about a particular file on the Smith file, how quickly could you answer that question for me? And it's just super fast, right? I type in a couple yeah. buttons relative to whatever LOS I'm using, and I can see exactly not only where it stands, what's up next, but who's accountable to the current action, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Can you do that with your recruiting pipeline? Should be able to, but most can't, have no clue. 
That's and it. that's and that, why we, that that's model match. That's why we built the technology. So not only you as the as the individual user can see. Well, wait, remind me. It's been sixty days since I've talked to this person. What did we talk about? Where do we stand? And what do I need to try to talk about next? But also all those individuals that support you in that process. Your 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 branch manager, your regional, your head of production, your operations yeah. support, your technology support, your marketing support. Yeah. Same way that Smith file is being managed within the LOS. The LOS not on their own. They've got a processor. They've got a. They've got a, a, an LOA. They've got an underwriter. They've got closers. They've got a whole team of people that are supporting them. So now playbooks. Each company is going to have an individual playbook that they feel like is the, are the right processes when trying to build relationships with the recruits. So the first step might be make a cold call. <laughs> That's an obvious one, right? Mm -hmm. Go call this person. We, we found some data. We know that this is an individual that you should have a relationship with. Go call them. But step two, three, four, five, six, seven may be the points where the company says, this is where we now want to introduce our operations manager, or this is where we want to introduce our regional, or this is where we want to do a side-by-side -side comparison of product and price all the way through HR, terms of negotiation, and then even the first 30, 60, 90 days of onboarding and acclimation. So ultimately, that's the playbook. In our software, the way that it works is when it's completed, you move it to a completed section that you can see who was it that completed that action. And so when we look back, let's say we're getting ready to think, okay, are we at a point where we want to make someone an offer? The first thing you ought to do is go look back and make sure you checked all the boxes. Because the last thing I want to do is make somebody an offer, and they sit on it because they tell you, well, I still would like to learn a little bit more about how you're managing um, social media engagement with XYZ. Well, boy, it sure does think if I just put that little piece of paper in front of you with a couple numbers on it, and now you want to take three steps backwards. So that's kind of what the playbook looks like. And again, we, we built it in such a way where it's customizable. We have a default playbook that we use, but the client can customize that playbook. And this starts getting into the topic of leverage. And, and, and I would like to have you talk about the benefits of using leverage. Uh, because sometimes we need to buy time and create some more efficiencies in the process of recruiting. Talk about using leverage. It's a term you referenced when we talked earlier. Yeah, I, I – um... I don't like one plus one equals two. <laughs> I want it to be a multiple, right? I want mm -hmm. one plus one to equal a whole lot more than two. So how can we do that? It takes a lot of work and a lot of effort to start with zero relationship, build some trust with someone, and then ultimately be in a position where we can partner together. My question is, what did you learn from those conversations that might put you or the region or the organization as a whole in a position to leverage those that opportunity, not the person necessarily, but what you learn from the opportunity to go replicate that in either the exact same markets or other markets as well. So here, here's just one of many examples. Mm -hmm. if, I'm a, if I'm a branch manager in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I just successfully recruited someone from XYZ Mortgage, and the reason that they joined was because they saw greater efficiencies in how we're managing human capital on the operation side relative to their, their current company, and they know that those efficiencies are going to give me more time, and I can do what I want with the time. I can spend more time with my children, with my family, or I can use that time to do what? Go grow my business and go do more volume and go make more money. Well, if I know that about this company, why am I not leveraging that information to go replicate that with other individuals that have the might, maybe the similar company or have the same pain? If my Portland, Oregon branch doesn't know that that just happened, they can't leverage it. 
So if too. my Raleigh, North Carolina branch doesn't know that that just happened, they can't leverage it. I mean, you have experts on your show all the time that are providing data. And what is the, what is the end user supposed to do with that data? They're mm-hmm. supposed to leverage it, right, to, to create efficiencies in what they're doing, data, how they're managing their pipeline, whatever the case may be. Well, we don't do that in recruiting, and there's no reason for it because we already have the muscle built in how we manage files, how we manage individual loans. We can do the same things, but the problem is the industry never had a tool to hold them accountable to not only doing those things, but to be able to collaborate inside of sort of an ecosystem that's specific to this strategic oh, yeah, goal. Yeah, I love this. I, I love the technology that you brought to this. It's a combination. And then using playbooks and the various elements that you bring together. Again, the fact that someone can just license your technology, do it and that basis, which has a lot. I mean, it's so much more beyond a just a CRM, but you also help them recruit the right people. So you're collecting a lot of data. I guess a question in regarding um, uh, your services. Are would, Do you have, is it just a software package or is it a fully bundled is it i mean are you locked into contracts how does that all work when you sign someone up how is it someone can start at one level and move up to another level and migrate back and yeah forth? Well, it's such a it's a great question you know it's funny we we i, I need you david but I, I need some consult from time to time because i think one of the things that we did when I mean, we built something we're very proud of and and super super excited about where we're going to, you know, in being able to take um, feedback from our users, you know, we're up to a significant amount of developers. We're not offshoring. Everything's underneath our roof. But we're able to take their feedback and be able to make additions and customization relatively quickly based upon that, based upon that feedback. And then going into this person's question, and thank you for the question, it, absolutely. You know, we've built a model where you can move up and you can move back. So we have individual users that don't ever ask us for help. They don't ever call our customer success team. They know how to use the technology, and they use it for their benefit, and they're good. And if they need something, we're here for them. And then we have those same users that expanded into investing in more data, investing in some customization, and then ultimately investing in our uh, retained solution where we're partnering with them on their behalf, our recruiters, in a, in a specific market on a specific project. The beauty of going – so you can go up the ladder. But then let's say that user that's at the, that, that's at the top of the ladder, and I don't mean that one's any more valuable than the other. The, be, the beauty is the, the user tells us, well, what do you need? We have an entire platform A to Z that can support any of those needs. But that person at the retained level, if after some amount of time they say, okay, we had some success, but I think we got it from here, guys. Like we don't, we don't need to invest in that level anymore. Well, they, they, they have the opportunity to continue to license the software, license all the work that was done inside the software, but they just turn our team off and they can now manage it internally. They can keep running with it, which by the way, was in me always one of the interesting things about recruiting in the mortgage space years ago, you're going to go retain or even contingently work with a recruiter. That's going to do a bunch of this work on your behalf or, you know, as far as you know, and they're they're going to go into a market and they're going to talk to two or 300 people. They're going to introduce you to three or four. Maybe you hire one of them. Well, when you stop using that, that recruiter, what happens Mm -hmm. to all that work? I know you lose it. You don't have access to it. it. You don't have access. That's right. That's brilliant. Your model is. And in this, so, so in this case, you you own it. You always have access to it. So when when we're done with the project, that could be a year. It could be five years. Whatever. You don't lose all of that data. Um, and, and so going back to leveraging again, there's so many ways you can then leverage that work, both both backwards and forwards. So yes, we're we're 
we're super flexible. If anybody's you know interested, if they go to our website modelmatch.com, they can click on the demo button, get a demo, ask some questions about um, you know how we manage those things backwards and forwards. We're getting a lot of questions in, but we're out of time. So you struck a chord as a lot of questions are coming in. Folks, listeners, I encourage you to take a look uh, or go to that web, go to their website. We're going to get that up here in just a minute. We'll also have it in our show notes and get a demonstration of this product. You'll be pretty amazed at what this can do to create lift and add leverage to your existing recruiting organization or plans or whatever. If you don't have one, uh, they'll do it for you, or this is a great technology to support your current efforts. Great job. Eric, I really enjoyed the interview. enjoyed our time. I'm so excited that we get to share with our listening audience uh, your business model and you and your podcast. I love your podcast. The name yeah, of the, it the, 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 is the, 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 yep, the Walk Podcast. Go check it the out. Walk it is really good. And it's, it's like when you're taking a walk and uh, you're just you're outside walking with someone, and that's how it felt when you and I did our interview. It was just so relaxed and so conversational. Uh, well, next, next time when, 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 when things continue to open up a little bit more, and I know you're in Texas, so everything's open, right. but I want to do an, I want an on-site yes. number two with you on the Walk Podcast, but we, we need to do half of it in your gym and half of yes. it at like the greatest barbecue <laughs> joint in Austin. How's that? That would be fun. That would be good. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll hear some uh, – uh, definitely, definitely, the, the, the barbecue place, I am stuffing my face. We just had one, had another meeting at one of my <laughs> barbecue places on Friday. And they're going, oh, it's just so difficult to talk. But I enjoy your, um, your approach to business, approach to the way you're helping companies. And it's creating a flexible approach. People, you got to get to know, listeners, you got to get to know this company and the way you go about it. And you got to get to know Eric. Really good people. And the whole organization is like that. So located, uh, you're by Coastal. One question, let's talk about that. You guys are located yep. in several locations here in one of San Clemente, which is we were talking to you originally, and the guys had surfboards there, and they're going to go out surfing. As it was really good. And then uh, I love that concept. When I lived in Southern California, yep. so it needs to be close. But also you have offices on the East Coast as well, if I'm correct. Correct. We have a North Carolina office. We have a Southern California office. We have some remote partners uh, in different parts of the country, but that was also by design so we can support East Coast, West Coast without any time zone differences but, uh, or issues. So, yeah, we've, we've, we've got both sides covered. Good job. The website again is modelmatch.com. Correct. Yep, modelmatch.com. Go check it out. Poke around. There's a, there's a demo button on there. Put the business development guys to work. Ask them a bunch of good questions. Um, we love it. And David, thank you for having me on, and thank you for everything that you do for the, uh, for the industry. You're, uh, you're a pleasure to talk to, and I'm, I'm glad to have the relationship with you. I'm glad. I'm really thrilled that my client referred, referred me over to you. I, it's the beginning of a long friendship. Eric, appreciate you. Agreed. So much here. Agreed. Good to have you here. Have a great rest of your week, Eric, and we'll look forward to seeing you soon, hopefully in person. Next week, folks, we've got Tony Keiko will be joining us. By the way, I talked to Tony before I started working with Model Match, and Tony says, hey, I like these guys. They got something really solid you need to check out. And Tony's a recruiter. And so does a great job, folks, mostly at the C-level executives. But we're going to have him on next week talking about some of the principles he uses in attracting really good candidates for his clients. Also, I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, CMLA, as well as Indicom, Accelerate, Mobility, MMI, as well as Modex, the MBA, Knowledge Coop, Lenders One, and the Mortgage Collaborative. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a great week. Look forward to having you back here next week. 
You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.